0: Welcome to Fur What It's Worth. An introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom. I'm a horrible person. You'd leave stuff laying around. We've all heard about the degrees of Kevin Bacon. No, no, you can't do that because I seriously think of Five Nights at Fred Meyer every time someone says that. But that's not the kind these two hosts have.
1: Well, we have a choice here.
0: Yeah, tell them what our choices are. What are the choices?
1: LIMBAGO in Idaho.
0: What the hell? One's got a doctorate degree after years of hard work. The other found his honorary degree in cookieology at the bottom of a cookie box. There are certain women I just want to bitch slap. <laughs> <laughs> so in summary, people are awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of true. So welcome our two scholarly-ish fools, Nuka and Roo.
1: Thank you so much, Fire Breath. I 100% appreciate that amazing opening. I, I have to admit, I definitely got my degree at the bottom of a box, 100%. So, Nuka, how are you doing? Tell me, what's going on?
2: Uh, I've been better. <laughs> As you might be able to tell, I'm uh, struggling with uh, the COVID right now. So I heard it was very popular, it was super trendy, so I figured I had to jump on that bandwagon and try it for myself. And I gotta oh. say good Over, overhyped overhyped i have to say it's uh two out of ten would not would not recommend i don't know why it's why it's so popular with people it must be uh, uh the kids these days and their their crazy shenanigans but they're yeah.
1: little things and
2: yeah so i've been uh, i've been coping with that uh i'm working on uh uh there's other stuff i'm doing i've been putting together talks for the cons this year so i go to different conventions and put together my my first science talk, so I spent a couple of weeks putting that together, compiling all the new data for that. And uh, yeah, I've been playing some video games. I recently, or recently beat for the first time Horizon Zero Dawn, which was uh, really awesome. Big fan of that game now. I've discovered. And uh, I, uh, I struggled for a little bit to find the new game to play. I tried like four or five different games. Nothing scratched that itch quite right. And so I went back to Dark Souls and I'm rebeating the Dark Souls series again for like the fifth or sixth time. What? It's just my, it's my comfortable go-to whenever I can't think of a game to play It's like a, a warm embrace.
1: Isn't Dark Souls like, I would not call that a warm embrace. It's like, Dark Souls is like, like you want to die and you want to die multiple times and you want to be swearing at the game
2: when But this, you die. This- but there's wonderful growth in it. Like the first time you play it through, it's like smashing your head against a brick wall, as Yahtzee put it. Uh, but then it's like when you're done and you're finished, you're like, yeah, that was kind of nice. I want to go back to that. Like, like when you finally beat it, you get addicted to like the feeling of of growth that comes from it. So I, I find myself almost once a year returning to my desire to want to play it again. And I'm, uh, for those who know the game, I'm, I'm just beating the DLC now for Dark Souls 1. So... Awesome. I'm well on my way to rebeating the this series again. How about you, Rue? How are you doing? Um,
1: uh, well, I was just going to add in to, as far as games. Mm. Like, I've been playing um, a game called Inscription. It's an indie game. Oh, I've heard game. of that one. And let me tell you, it 100% award. I mean, it, it should get an award for game of the year. Um, it, it is fairly decent. It's a You know, you would think that it's being just a card game that it would be not as epic, but it's more than just a card game. Basically, you are trapped in this cabin and you are trying to get out. And the only way that you can get out is by beating this this guy. Um, his name's Leshy, and he's basically keeping you there. And if you lose, he'll take a picture of you, which kills you, basically, and turn you into a card, basically. So the next time that you play you can actually play as your as your former card. You could play your former card. So it's kind of kinda of interesting. It has kind of a roguelike type element to it. So
2: I've heard nothing highly, but good things about it. Yeah.
1: Highly recommend it. Um so I had New Year's Eve. I had a great big huge party. Uh had some people over. Um probably not the greatest thing because I haven't been feeling the I don't know. I haven't been feeling the greatest. I thought it was a, I had a little bit of a cough and I'm like, oh, it's because of my medicine that I'm taking. And everybody at the party was like, Rue, you sound terrible. And I'm like, I think it's because of my medicine. And then I woke up the next day. I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's not. It was, Rue was being bad and stupid. So, um, I don't believe that it's, um, COVID, um, because I've taken a test and it's negative, but you know, still you have that cold flu going around. Um, I've also been working out at the gym a lot. Um, getting swole, getting swole, drinking those protein drinks and stuff like that, getting all big and strong.
2: Is I there a joke take... about drinking protein drinks here?
1: Oh yeah, what's the, what's the joke?
2: I don't know, but it's going to involve semen in some way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh oh my goodness i could go into a lot of stuff let's just say at some point in time i may have looked up how much protein is in that stuff anyways (laughs) um okay so i think it's that time
2: i think it's time for a cookie
0: Will he reuse another one Is he ready Is he going to bed with Pastries again It's Ruse Cookie Time Not sponsored by Betty Crocker
1: Darkness cannot drive out Darkness Only light can do that In bed with a cookie So once again Darkness cannot drive out darkness Only light can do that In bed with a cookie
2: Profound and we're back Rue why don't you tell us what we're talking about today
1: Today we are talking about the amazing, amazing topic of resilience. I figured because you were sick and I was sick, you know, we and we decided, you know what, no matter what, we're going to be doing this episode. We're toughing it out. We're yeah. toughing it out. We're here. I figured, why not? Let's do it about resilience, even though that we're both super ill and you're going to hear coughing in the background once in a while.
2: Saru, so what the hell is resilience?
1: Well, resilience... Well, let's, let's pull up this lovely dictionary here. I got one um, of those. So there's a couple of things that it could mean. The capacity to recover quickly from difficult, tough, or um, the often remarkable resilience of so many British institutions. Or it could be the ability of the uh, substance or object to spring back into shape elasticity so
2: it It sounds like what you're go go for it it sounds like what you're describing is just the ability to bounce back when things are kind of tough
1: exactly exactly so things it's kind of like you know when you were a little kid and you were riding a bike and you kept falling off of it you know what what did your grandpappy always tell you just to if you had a grandpappy you know get back on the bike and keep going You know, basically, that's what we are going to be talking about is how to continue to keep going. Like, for example, we all have faced the great big, huge COVID crisis, the great big, huge pandemic. You know, we're we're in this new life now and, um, you know, we're all kind of recovering. It's like it's I don't know things have been crazy. I think for everybody, I know that Nuka, you've gone through a lot of changes. I've gone through a lot of changes. You've had to change your, your, the way that you teach. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had to change the way that I, you know, I, I do my job instead of meeting people in face to face, I have to meet with them, you know, over the phone type thing to be able to help them out. And, um, I've had to change a lot of my particular strategies. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything to say to that, Mister Nuka?
2: Um, I mean, yeah, we get, uh, if, if we're sharing stories, I mean, for sort of a a, a more lighthearted version of it, uh, I know last night is a perfect example. I was playing Dark Souls uh, <laughs> to to continue on a theme, uh, but it was a a boss that I hadn't played in in quite a while. I, I hadn't done the DLCs for a while, and the boss took me five and a half hours to beat. I like, just it was basically slamming my head against the wall, and um, you know, it's it's not. Perhaps this is the same kind of adversity you face, you know, when you're you're fighting COVID, for example, or you're struggling through a difficult breakup. But that same, you know, there's a there's an obstacle in the way, and you're trying and trying. And I think it's why Dark Souls resonates with so many people, because we've all had times right? whether it's studying for a class or or trying to, uh, you know, build a shelf or or do something in your day to day life where you struggle with it, you're you're just not getting it right. And it feels like an exercise in frustration. And so learning how to tough it out, learning how to uh, persevere when everything's like, hey, give up, stop, quit, be frustrated. I mean, I've had my share of broken throne controllers playing Dark Souls uh, when I first started playing it. I've I've broken two controllers playing it in the past. And I was uh, amazed at how this time through, despite my frustrations, I never lost my, my, my patience. I never you know, threw a controller. I never got, got grumpy. I, I could tell when I was you know, three and a half hours into my, my run against this one boss, I'm like, you know what? I need to get up. I need to walk and talk to my roommates, maybe have some tea and just cool off a little bit, come back to it when I'm in a better mindset. And I found that, yeah, it was, it was definitely a demonstration of growth on my part from where I was a few years ago breaking controllers and losing my patience and saying, this is impossible. This is stupid. Um, So it's, it's a a trivial example, but one that's also nicely reflective of how we approach adversity in our day-to-day lives.
1: I'm glad that you're no longer breaking controllers. You know, those controllers (laughs) have feelings too.
2: Well, they're expensive too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're like almost $70 now. They're pretty expensive.
2: Not to mention the desk that I dented the first time I broke a controller by throwing it at the desk.
1: I do not. Ne- I'd never want to be in a room where you're angry. I I just I don't. <laughs> um, I was just gonna say, you know, even this show, this show has gone through its ups and downs. I mean, I, I I know that longtime listeners. I'm not gonna go into too many details, but, um, you know, I was in a a relationship with uh one of the cast members, and that kind of um it was it was good. Um, but it did cause a little bit of, um, a little bit of issues to where when we were breaking up, one of the things that was on the table was the podcast and what was going to happen to it. And, um, you know, thank, thank goodness at that particular time, you know, I I was going to give up the show. I was going to be like, you know, I'm going to step away, do what I need to do um but you know tugs came in and was like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna help you and i don't mean to like bring up old past drama that was a long long time ago and i'm not trying to relive that um however you know that was something that was a big big thing and it pertains to this show it was it was very very difficult during that time um to be able to make I I don't know. I had to make a lot of decisions and, um, it was really hard. Breakups are not fun. You know, basically you have somebody that you, um, have given your heart to and, um, you know, th- things like that happen. You, you tend to relive your mistakes. Like what could I have done? You know, what should I have done? W- what could I have done more? Um, you know, maybe a better example at a friend who um who was climbing this um we have a lot of a lot of climbing sites here in utah um there's some times that people will fly in and they'll basically have a heart attack as they um you know when they look outside their apartment hotel room um during the day because they see these great big massive mountains next to them and if you haven't seen mountains before um which I know I'm going on a tangent, but you go to Australia and they're like, There's a mountain over there. And I'm like, No, that's not a mountain friend. No, 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 no. That's a hill. That's a hill. <laughs> but um anywho, um, so my friend was climbing this this mountainside and um he was with his daughter. He got to um he got to a point where he needed to um try his very best to well he needed to the the rope got twisted and so he had to unlatch himself and normally you know he would be a little bit more safe about it um he thought that he was safe so he he took his um his safety rope and or sorry i don't know a lot about climbing so i'm trying to give you this um give you this story um anywho um basically he ends up unlatching himself and he ends up falling um off the side of the mountain um and he ended up dropping down and got pinned in between two rocks um upside down he ended up having to have life life flight come in to basically come and get get him um, they also had the National Guard there in case he ended up perishing. He was there um, stuck between two rocks for a long, long period of time. Um, he, it really caused, it, it caused him to um, have a lot of fear of um, getting back up on the mountain. Um, you know, he had to go through re- reconstructive surgery it took him a long time to be able to get back up on his feet, but he knew that no matter what, he had to because his love of climbing was still there, he had to get back up on the mountainside as fast as he possibly could because if he didn't get back up on that mountainside, he knew that he was going to um, he, he was going to never get back up on that mountainside ever again. So um, a lot of um, a lot of this stuff that I'm going to be talking about today is actually from him. He actually gave this um, gave this um, presentation, and I've kind of taken a little bit from from him. So he's really um, an inspiration to me about what it means to be resilient. So Nuka, what would you say resilient, resilience is?
2: Um, so for me, the resilience involves uh, how a person sort of copes with being put on the back foot, right? So when you're in a situation where, I mean, we, we make plans, right? We are, we are human beings. We, we, we are motivated to pursue goals. We're motivated to, to plan things out. And when things go really well, when things go according to plan that's great right we, we we love it when we make a plan i'm going to go to the store and come back and go to the store and you come back and nothing bad happens um but life has this funny way of throwing monkey wrenches into our plans and so uh when you go to the store and suddenly there's a there's a construction sites in the way and you have to change your plans uh resilience is your ability to to work with those changes those frustrations in our potential plans so uh, it can involve your ability to Reset goals, right? Oh, I guess I'm not going to the store today because there's something between me and the store, right? Or your ability to revise your plans and your strategies and to say, well, um, looks like I'm not going to the store this way, but I can walk through a side path to get to that store. Uh, Resilience can be how you cope emotionally with the stress that's arisen. So, oh, man, you know, uh, I can't go to the store and get that chocolate bar I really wanted. I'm really frustrated right now. Uh, but I'm going to calm myself down right so how you deal with the emotional fallout from the the frustration it can be um, how we are uh, uh, able to to plan uh, uh, contingencies well I'll go tomorrow right or I'll I'll find another snack right or I'll, I'll go to my friend and, and maybe they've got some snacks I can have whatever whatever the case is it's how you cope with that setback um, and Kind of cool. Uh, research does suggest that our ability to be resilient is like a muscle; it's something that you can actually work towards, right? So the first time you encounter a setback, I'm going to go back to my Dark Souls analogy again. This <laughs> probably won't be the last time, um, but it's you know the first time you 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 face a setback, the first time you you face your first boss in Dark Souls, um, it's 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 frustrating, it's insurmountable. My favorite thing to do whenever you find a boss in Dark Souls that's kicking your ass is go online and type in fuck blank the name of the boss <laughs> and you find some Reddit thread where there's a hundred people venting about how this boss is impossible. Um, but then immediately under that, you'll find a thread that's all about how this boss was great how good it felt to finally beat that boss. Um, so yeah, it's, it's Dark Souls play. Dark Souls players go through this, this uh, evolution of immediately being frustrated uh, and, 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 and you, know, uh, this is, you know, this game challenges me in ways that video games typically don't. And then over time, learning patience and learning that, well, no, it's going to, you know, resetting your expectations and finding new strategies and realizing that, no, this is going to take some work, but you can get through it. And I think that, you know, all of life is that way. When we encounter hardships for the first time, we're like, man, this is insurmountable. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but when you start getting practice, getting through the tough times. Uh, the next time you encounter a setback, you remember, oh, yeah, this is just like that last time when things were really shitty. But I got through that, and I'm going to get through this. Right. So we, we, we actually build it up like a muscle, not too much at one time can snap us like a muscle, right? If you go and try to deadlift 600 pounds, without any practice, you're gonna break something. Um, but within reason, if you get practice doing this, um, yeah, you can build up resilience.
1: I never knew that I could learn so much from Dark Souls. I wasn't planning that, but it just it just
2: <laughs> as it turns out, it's it's a very wonderful analogy for, for resilience.
1: Um so some other things with resilience. I, I'd have to say like resilience is living on the edge. Uh you are also able to handle stress a little bit better. Um you can also it, it also helps like you like you were saying to increase your capacity to overcome or become more resilient um it's a personal journey that may work for one person but a, not another person so your dark souls analogy you know that might help you but it might not help somebody else be able to become resilient not everyone
2: is a dark souls player and that's fine
1: it, exactly but you know that's something that works for you and that's why like we are going to be talking a little bit about um, some different keys of resilience. These are this is not a, a roadmap that you have to follow. These are not ones that you have to you have to keep all of these different keys. You'll find some of them that work for you, and then you'll find maybe none of them work for you. the The great thing is is you can find your own keys to be able to help you to become more resilient. Um, so there is a couple of different key, um, resilient factor attributes. Um, I'll just run through them real quick. Do you, um, actually, you know what, Nuka, why don't you start with the first one?
2: Yeah. So, uh, you can think of these as like individual differences. So think about a person who's really resilient, right? Think in in your head, picture a person who's super, resilience and ask, so what do they have, right? What, what are the attributes that a person who's quite resilient has? I always use the example of Stephen Hawking, right? Here's a person who was presented with, with this, this horrible uh, uh, um, physical setback that most of us would really struggle with, right? He was in a wheelchair. He basically had uh, uh, reduced mobility or, or essentially no mobility for, for a good chunk of his adult life. Um, and yet he he persevered, right? And, you know, despite this, despite having I think it was ALS, I want to say, it, but I don't recall off the top of my head. Um, but despite this, you know, he he persevered. And so, what is it that he has? And so, we can run through some of these these traits that resilient people have. And the first one on this list here is your your coping style. Your your you know, how do you cope with a setback? And there are psychology sort of recognizes two flavors of coping style, which we call problem focused coping uh, and emotion focused coping. So problem-focused coping or active coping is the, you know, you tackle the problem head on, right? So there's there's a test next week and, you know, I'm stressed out about it. So problem-focused coping or active coping is I'm going to tackle the test. I'm going to study. I'm going to uh, uh, shut out all distractions. I'm going to make myself hunker down and get ready for this test. Um, As a general rule, people who do more problem-focused coping tends to do better in the long run. However, you can't just be a problem-focused coper. Uh, Emotion-focused coping is the second type, and this is where you don't tackle the problem head on, but rather you deal with the emotional fallout from the problem, right? I have a test next week. I'm stressed out, so rather than than studying, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I'm going to go play video games. I'm going to do something that makes me feel good, so I'm not so anxious. And you might say to yourself, well, that sounds... That doesn't help you do good on the test, right? Like drinking with your friends doesn't help you do well on the test. And in that circumstance, you'd be right. Uh, however, people who cope the best have a flexible, they're able to flexibly shift between problem-focused coping and emotion-focused coping. Um, there are some circumstances in life where tackling the problem head-on will get you nowhere. The example I always use for this is you go in for a test for cancer, right? You think you might have cancer, you go in, you get a biopsy done and you have to wait 48 hours. Right? So you go home now. So what do you do for that 48 hours? Problem-focused copers hugely struggle with this, right? Because there's nothing they can do if if the only tools in your repertoire is tackle the problem head on, literally nothing you do in the next 48 hours is going to change the outcome of that test. And so if all you do is problem-focused coping, that's going to be the worst 48 hours of your life. Uh, A similar thing that comes up that problem-focused copers struggle with is death, right? The the, the death of a loved one, the death of a pet. Problem-focused copers really struggle to get through this because you, you, you can't fix death, right? No amount of hard work on your part is going to bring back that loved one. And if that's the only tools in your repertoire, you're going to feel helpless and you're going to feel really upset. So occasionally being able to engage in an emotion-focused coping strategy and to say, Hey, you know, I can't fix the problem. The problem is the problem and there's literally nothing I can do about it. The best thing I can do is turn to things and find things that help me deal with the emotions, turn to my friends, turn to my uh, uh, my family members, turn to activities that make me feel better to help get my mind off of it. So the best strategies, the, the, the most flexible, resilient people tend to be able to switch between both of those coping strategies. So, that's so what one. if
1: what if you just have emotion focus? What's the negative side of it? Right. So the downside, to,
2: the downside to just being emotion focused is go back to that test scenario, right? So you have a test next week. If all I do to cope with the test is make myself feel better, distract myself from thinking about it, that's great for the the week leading up to the exam. I'm not stressed at all but I have to write the exam. And if I haven't prepared for it at all, then that's going to be a problem as well. Um, so yeah, the the most resilient people tend to be able to flexibly shift and know when to use one strategy versus another. I really like the serenity prayer. If you're familiar with the uh, serenity prayer, I'm going to botch it a little bit, but it's, um, uh, grab me the strength to be able to, to handle the things that I can handle, uh, the 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 grace to know the things or, or to 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 move with the things I can't handle and the wisdom to know the difference between the two. I'm I'm paraphrasing it, but yeah, I think that that nicely encompasses a trait of people who are really resilient is being able to recognize and switch between those strategies.
1: So another factor attribute is physical exercise. Um, let me tell you, my. Positive mental health is so much better now than what it has been in the past because I am focusing on my physical body and I am going to the gym probably about, and I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I'm going to the gym probably about four times a week, sometimes five times a week. And let me tell you, when I don't go, and it's at the point now that if I don't go and exercise, I turn into mr moody pants i 100% like it it affects my mental well-being um and i know that that's probably an issue within myself that i'm that i'm working through but like i i like to i and i don't know i'm not trying to turn into some sort of meathead or anything but i just want to try to um really take care of of myself and that gives me a little bit more You know, love for myself. Um, So that helps boost my confidence as well. Um, Also, I think having a positive outlook is important. Glass is half full, glass is half empty. Um, What are you, Nuka? Are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person?
2: I'm a cautiously pessimistic person, which research actually (laughs) suggests is the best outcome. Uh, To be sure, optimism is really good for outcomes. So for example, there's research showing that Uh, People who have more optimistic outcomes or people who are more optimistic about their outcomes are more likely to survive, for example, heart attacks, the more likely it is to live longer after diagnosis with cancer. So optimism does matter. But what you don't want is uh, unbridled optimism. There's research suggesting that if you're too optimistic, if you're a Pollyanna, if you just always say "Ah, everything's going to work out all right, but you never actually do anything to make things all right, that's a problem. So you want optimism, but tethered to reality, right? You want to be, okay, things are gonna be okay if I put in the work or if I, uh, I work at them, right? So you want optimism, but not uh, unbridled, unwarranted uh, optimism.
1: Nice. Um, support systems is super important.
2: Yeah, we've. Uh, I got some research right now on the fandom showing that during the COVID pandemic, furries are turning to their the, the fandom even more than they turn to their their family for social support. Uh, we know that one of the best predictors of well-being and resilience is the, the, the do you have people you can turn to when life is really difficult? And for a lot of folks, it's the fandom. For other folks, it's their family. For some folks, it's their church friends or their work friends, whatever it is. As long as you've got another person to lean on when life gets kind of tough, that provides a tremendous amount of resources. Uh, there's uh, Robert Putnam wrote a book, uh, a sociological analysis called Bowling Alone, which was all about sort of decrying the fact that in America in the last few decades, there's been a loss of social capital, what he called social capital. This, you know, this idea that, hey, if you're going on a vacation for a week, do you have a neighbor who could watch your house? Or if you had to apply for a job today, do you know someone who would be a reference for you all these tiny little things, these resources that we get from knowing people, we often sort of undervalue it, we sort of especially in America, we have this this idea of individuality, every man is an island, right? Mm -hmm. Not realizing that there is tremendous resources to be had um, in knowing other people, right? So when life gets tough, Having a friend you can borrow money from, having a coach you can crash on, having a shoulder to cry on, having a, a person who lives in the place where you're going so that you can you know stay there for a little while. All of these things help us to cope so that when, we, when the chips are down and life is hard, we don't have to face it alone.
1: And I think that that one's 100% important because, I mean, for myself, in my own work, I work with people that sometimes they may come from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, either an abuse-type situation or, you know, maybe they're homeless. Um, They don't have the support that they need. Um, And so, therefore, you know, when I'm like, when I ask them, hey, do you have a reference to be able to put down on your resume? And they're like, I don't know anybody. It's very difficult. It is very difficult to be able to, I, I feel for them 100%. And I, I try my very best to be able to help them. Um, but some sometimes I'm just like, wow, I just, I, I look at myself, and I'm like, I am so glad that I have, and by no means am I trying to compare myself to others. Uh, although I think I am at this moment. It's, it's, I am glad that I have that community, um, that I've taken the time to be able to build that. And by no means am I trying to judge somebody that doesn't have it. I just think that it's absolutely imperative to be able to have somebody to lean on uh, when times get hard.
2: Well, you find, for example, with LGBTQ plus folks, this is one of the reasons why a lot of them struggle – With things like, uh, you know, if your family disowns you, if your family, you know, shuns you for whatever reason, you're gay and they don't like that or whatnot, and they, they kick you out, that's a lot harder than a lot of people think. A lot of people say, well, okay, fine, screw your family, who cares? But it's really easy to say that a lot of people don't realize that their family is a source of social support. When life gets really, really hard, a lot of people take it for granted that they could, you know, all else, you know, all options exhausted, they could go live with their parents again. Right, that's an option that's not available to a lot of folks. That's a that's a source of social support that not everyone has. So,
1: yeah, I I, I agree with you. In fact, I lived that myself. There was a time where I needed to, I needed to know that my family was going to have my back. That you know, I I shared a little bit about my uh, my breakup that I ended up having. Uh, at that time, I reached out to my family and I said, "Hey, mom, dad, is there a place for me? You know, if." if the going gets, you know, if I needed to, to go back home and, um, you know, uh, okay. Um, this is a little bit hard. Sorry. Their response was, what would the neighbors think? You know, instead of like, yes, we're going to be there for you. And so, like, that 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 hurt. That was something that is, has always kind of been a little bit of something in the background type thing that I know that, you know, they do love me, they do care about me, but, you know, um, how they look to the Joneses is more important sometimes to them, which, again, I don't lose sleep over it, but um, I guess what I'm trying to say is thank goodness I had friends. I had friends that came in and said, Rue, you have a place with us. And they brought me underneath their wing and, they, and I went and lived with them for a bit until I was able to get back on my feet. Um, so some other um, resilient f- factors real quick, um, having a good moral compass and having the cognitive flexibility. Do you want to touch base on those real quick?
2: Um, yeah so for a moral compass, uh, just ha- belonging to something bigger than you right So it doesn't for some people that means having a a, a God or a, a divine sense of meaning to the universe. For others, it just means finding something bigger than you like a society to belong to or a family that you're a part of. Just finding uh, something bigger than you to, to be a part of to help give you a sense of purpose when life gets kind of tricky. One of the you know, when your life gets upended and you find yourself sort of struggling, Being able to sort of find ground, touch grass, anchor yourself to something can for many people be that stabilizing force that helps them sort of pick up the pieces after everything's been thrown into turmoil. Uh, And again, whether you call that a a, a god or whether it's just, uh, you know, i got my friends and my family and that's what I need. Finding something bigger than you to give you that clarity and that sense of meaning and purpose. I think we'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, And also cognitive flexibility, right? Creativity. Uh, is a really important part of resilience, being able to find a solution, being able to work at the problem, being able to, to reframe it, to take a step back and say, look, I've been running into this problem for days now, and it's not working, so maybe what I need to do is step back, reevaluate, restructure the problem, find a, a solution, think outside the box. And people who can do that oftentimes you know, find solutions or find ways of coping that they hadn't initially considered. So being able to do that is often a sign of, of good coping. So I think with that, we'll, we'll throw it to break right now. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk a bit more about this topic.
0: This is Timit Grizzly in Southern California, and you are listening to For What It's Worth, the podcast bringing positivity to the furry fandom one episode at a time.
1: welcome back everybody this is rue i'm here i think somewhere um thank you so much grizz for sending that in um let me tell you dents are super super important it's something that is required that during the middle of the show we say uh you've been listening to for what it's worth i don't know why we have to do it necessarily somebody else does i think the audio guy knows tugs knows i think nuka you might know but You know, it's just something that needs to be said. So, hey, we need your help. So what we want you to do is send us an ident. So an ident could be simply just stating your name, something silly, and you're listening to For What It's Worth. So an ident could be, hi, this is Rue. I like cookies. You've been listening to For What It's Worth. Something as simple as that. And you can just send that over to cast at ForWhatIt'sWorth.com.
2: Rue, I want to tell you my favorite biblical quote here. I'm not a I'm not a religious person anymore, but uh, one always stuck with me here. It's Revelation five eleven, and it says, "Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads, and thousands my and thousands. Can you hear that, Rue? Oh. Can you hear it? The <laughs> angelic. There it's it is. Burning. Yes." Ah, uh, it is that time, Rue. It is that time when we thank our glorious Patreons. Uh, we worship them for what they, they give to us, and they help us pay for the show. Rue, would you like to read off that list? Because it's awkward for me to read a list that I am on.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, sure. Uh, first of all, we like to thank Sly, Aston Circle, Gerald the Spirit Wolf, Big Bear Ludo, Luno, GW, Nuka, Yay! Yes. Koru, Bubble Whip, Adler, Moss, Chippogriff, Ozzy K, um, Black Baldrick, Ligris, Kit, um, Ichigo, Simon, uh, or Simeon, sorry. Um, Guardian Lion, Rifka, and Harlem Fox. Thank you so much for, for giving us your money.
2: So that We're a we big fan per- of that.
1: Yes, we like money, and money is helpful. Let me tell you, we don't get paid for this show. I don't think that I've um, ever um, put any money into my lovely pocket. And Nuka, um, have you seen your first check yet?
2: No, I, I'm paying for the show. So, <laughs> and if you want to be like Nuka and all of his awesomeness and help contribute, you can go to patreoncom f uh Sorry, patreoncom FWIW to get in on it yourself.
1: Thank you, Nuka, for being a patron. I appreciate it.
2: And thank you, Rue, for being a friend, which hurts all the more now. Recently, that. Uh, oh no. that I I just brought up. Oh, I just oh. realized. Uh, Thank Betty you White. for
1: being my friend. <sighs> ah,
2: Never forget kay. Betty
1: White. I have to I have to admit, so as the um as midnight was striking, um we played Thank You for Being Our Friend. Aww. Or my friend. And we listened to that song in honor of Betty White and we raised raised our glass to Betty White. So
2: a grand old gal
1: definitely let me tell you uh, out of anybody that had resilience she definitely had that she was great she was also so, super funny
2: So let's jump back to the topic of resilience room
1: okay so um we are going to be going through um each of these different sections we're going to go through five keys so we're going to go through them pretty quickly um so the five that we're going to be talking about in this segment is see crisis as surmountable, change the narrative, find the silver lining, face your fears, and step outside your bubble.
2: These are so things for, that you can do to become more resilient yourself.
1: Exactly. And again, when it comes to um, these lovely keys to resilience, these are some of them you, that you can use. You don't have to use all of them. You could find out your, your own. So the first one is, see the crisis as surmountable. Be okay with the feeling of grief. Humans are not, um, so there's a quote that uh, basically says, humans are not resisting to change, but to being changed. Um, Does the challenge obstruct um, the method or the destination? In what ways does this setback challenge um, my assumptions about the methods or the goal. In another question is is what other ways can I accomplish my goal? So yeah, let so go ahead. Go for it, Nuka.
2: So the idea here is that when you believe the goal is insurmountable, you can't. You set yourself up essentially to stop trying, right? So uh, when we're talking about how to how to solve a problem, we we talk about what's called primary and secondary assessments. Primary assessments is hey. Is this a real problem or not? And secondary assessment is, hey, can I cope with this or not? Is this something I can actually handle or am I totally screwed? And when you believe that this is a problem you can't solve, we kind of default to that emotion focused coping I was talking about before. So when you think, you know what, this is test next week and I can't do it, I'm I'm, I, I, I'm too stupid for this. As soon as you decide that, then the only kind of coping you engage in is emotion focused coping. But it's when you realize that, hey, I actually think I can get a handle on this. I think this is within my capacity to do. Then you start engaging in those more functional problem-focused coping strategies. When you believe that you can actually do this, then you start uh, uh, shoring up your resources and actually trying to tackle the problem head on. But if you decide beforehand, I can't do this, it's insurmountable, then you give up and you only engage in emotion-focused coping. So again, this doesn't mean being unrealistic. Some you know you can't wish away your cancer right but uh at least when it's possible when 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 the the uh the the goal of the crisis is something that you can get over and get through of your own uh accord, then yes recognizing it as such is a way to help you cope with it, and when it's not um you know when it is too much for you to bear then rather than despairing, you should be saying, okay, well, what resources can I shore up? What people can I turn to? Uh this is bigger than me. So how do I get more people behind me?
1: Awesome. Uh the next key is change the narrative. And we actually have a lovely message that was sent in in good old from good old Krubs again. Krubbs again. Uh he sent in this lovely message and I think that it definitely um Um, helps to be able to answer what changing the narrative means.
0: Resilience. For me, the greatest tip is do not take reality too seriously. When I feel it is a life and death situation, I lose resilience to deal with the situation. The situation is just too serious and too scary. But when I think of the situation like a video game, I gain a new perspective and can usually find a solution I like. But sometimes the solution is not what I want, but that is part of resilience. Also, being able to accept a loss in the campaign and continue the game of life.
1: Yes, definitely. Life, like I've, I've used that before. Sometimes, the the only thing when it comes to your life, unfortunately, we don't have extra lives. I wish that we could say that we have extra lives that we could just up. Uh, do over, like, let's just play that level all over again. Unfortunately, um, it's not 100% that way, but I do appreciate, um, I 100% appreciate what, um, what Grubbs was, was saying. It's, it's all about, you know, changing the narrative, changing the, the situation, um, he, here's some, some other ways that you can – I feel like I'm going all over the place, Nuka. Please save me, Nuka. Well, uh, Nuka, save well,
2: me. So, so a really good example of restructuring the narrative is, right, uh, uh, imagine I tasked you with the goal of you need to write a book, right? By the end of the summer, you need to write a book. And you're thinking this, holy crap, how do I write a book? Book is, book is too big, right? Or let's say your doctor says you need to lose 100 pounds. You are you – know, you, you've got, got a lot of health problems. You need to lose a lot of weight. And you go, holy crap, how can I lose 100 pounds? A lot of our goals are these big picture kinds of goals for a lot of the problems we face are these big, seemingly insurmountable goals, right? Lose a hundred pounds, write a book, save up $30,000 to for a down payment for your house. And like, this is impossible. I can't do this. Part of the way you can restructure that narrative is to break it down into bite-sized pieces, right? A lot of our problems seem really insurmountable, but they can be broken down into things that are mountable, right? Or are are doable, right? Write a book. I can't sit down and write a book in one sitting. But what I can do in one sitting is write a page or write a paragraph, right? So you don't start off trying to write a book. You start off trying to write a paragraph, trying to write a sentence. You don't start off trying to save $30,000. You start off by saying, hey, can I save 50 bucks this month? You don't start off trying to lose 100 pounds. You say, hey, can I lose one or two pounds this month? Right. When you restructure the problem to not be this big, ominous, overshadowing thing, when you start to chip away at it piece by piece, you start to realize that it is doable. Right. But it does take some reframing. If you aren't able to restructure it and reframe it, then you're going to have a difficult time trying to meet the challenge. Right. It's going to feel too much for you when you're going to just sort of crumble under it.
1: So something that you can try um, there is something from uh, Joyfill, Craw, um, Crawford, from the Crawford Leadership Strategies. They've um, recommended to try um, this acronym called RISE, which basically stands for reflect on what happened, identify how the, cha- um, the challenges get you closer to where you want to go, strategize actions within your control, and execute the plan.
2: And that's a big part of it is in your control part, right? Again, like, uh, you know, uh, losing 100 pounds, that almost seems like it's outside your control, right? It's really easy to give up and say 100 pounds is too much, right? You say, well, but you you can make your your weight fluctuate from week to week, right? You can do things to maybe, you know, exercising a bit more, eating, you know, more healthy proportions. You can do things to knock your weight around a few pounds. That seems to be within your control. That's much more manageable, and so you can work on that and hey if you do that for for months and years at a time you may actually find the pounds starting to come off you may you're saving thirty thousand dollars may seem impossible when you're only making thirty thousand dollars a year right mm-hmm. that's outside your control but hey you can perhaps find twenty dollars to store away here and there and before you know it do that for long enough and you start to realize oh i've saved you know a couple thousand dollars this year right so when you reframe it like that you can Bring it back into your control. You can make the problem that much more manageable and make it a challenge that you can meet, rather than something that overwhelms you.
1: So, in other words, it's like how do you how do you eat an elephant, Nuka?
2: (laughs) One one bite at a time. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, The next key is finding the silver lining. Um, I I feel like that this one is is super important because it helps to increase your self worth. Um, So. Um a Holocaust survivor, um and I'm gonna butcher her butcher their name, Victor Frankie, is that correct? Frankel. Frankel, thank you. Victor Victor Frankel. Frankel. Um he basically quoted, um, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. He basically felt like his suffering that he went through through the Holocaust gave him the ability to be able to teach others uh, you know, about his experience so that he, he could help other people be able to overcome, their, um, overcome what they were going through and be able to help them to be able to build, um, build resilience. Um, he actually created a book called Man's Search for Meaning
2: actually so, own the book yeah
1: awesome it's it's a great read. I highly recommend it. I, I know that you know a little bit about um um Victor. do you want to tell us a little bit about him
2: well so the the whole idea of like this existential philosophy i mean I don't want to say it started with this, but um the, the, there's some significant roots, for example, in um the survivorship uh, of the Holocaust. if you want to talk about struggling with hardships, right the people uh, who are in these, these concentration camps struggled, right? How do you, how do you find resilience? How do you cope? Um, when you're in the most dire of circumstances, right? How do you, how do you manage to push through to the next day when it seems bleak and hopeless and, um, being able to find optimism, finding that silver lining, even in the grimmest of situations, um, is what helps a lot of people to get through. Remember Uh, I mentioned earlier that optimism helps cancer patients to live longer. It helps you survive a heart attack better, right? It doesn't mean pretending that the world is glorious. Certainly if you're living in a concentration camp, right? These people weren't pretending the world was glorious, but finding that silver lining, find just enough to get them through to the next day was what it took. And for a lot of them, they turned to their faith, right? There's this wonderful quote that they found scrawled on the wall of a concentration camp, um, uh, I guess, room, uh, where one of the, the refugees, or not refugees, one of the, the prisoners, uh, wrote, I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining, I believe in love, even when it is not uh, shown, and I believe in God, even when God is silent, right, and so for them, they turned to their faith, they said, you know, things are grim now, but there's hope, and for a lot of folks, that's what religion gives them, is this this sense of hope, when there's nothing else that seems to give them hope they turn to their faith. Now, even if you're a a, a secular person or a, a, an atheist or agnostic person like myself, you don't need to turn to a God for hope, but you can turn to other things for optimism, right? Whether it's turning to a sense of purpose and meaning bigger than yourself. So maybe it's not a, a, a supreme being that you're turning to for meaning and significance, but you say, hey, I can get through this because I've got kids who are depending on me. I've got a family that depends on me. I've got uh, uh, friends and loved ones who depend on me, who've got my back. Um, even though things look grim, at least I'm not facing it alone. Right. Or at least, you know, uh, you know, they can, they can take a lot of things from me, but they can't take my pride from me. They, you know, these sorts of, uh, of statements that let you find the silver lining, even in, in utter despair can be enough to, to help you get through it. it. It sounds cliche when you hear about these kinds of lines, but these are what get you through. Uh, I really liked the, um, I want to say it was uh, attributed to Rocky Balboa, Sylvester Stallone. Um, and again, it's cliche as heck, but he says, uh, it's not about how many uh, how many hits you can dish out. It's about how many times you can get back up after a hit. right? Or It's not how many times you can fall down. It's how many times you get back up after you fall down, something like that. But being able to sort of find inspiration and find a reason to keep on getting up um, goes a long way to helping you persevere.
1: So some things that you can try um, to be able to help you build that particular key of finding the silver lining. Um, basically, you can engage in expressive writing for uh, a few days. Um, explore the feelings surrounded, um, surrounding a difficult experience. Um, discover important issues and patterns. Reveal um, emerging strengths and find or create meaning from the, this experience so
2: and we're really good at doing that last one sorry I didn't interrupt. go for it go go for it we're really good at doing that last one too i mean it, it's it's if you think about it in retrospect like think about the worst thing that happens to you or bad things that happened to you and oftentimes we're pretty good at crafting narratives after the fact right i remember um when i was younger uh i was arrested uh, I was arrested because my friends and I were shooting this little war movie when I was in like grade seven or whatever. We had little plastic guns and the police thought they were real guns. So they showed up. They pointed guns at us. We got arrested. And in that moment, that was like the worst day of my life. That was like, this is horrible. This is awful. My life is over. This is this is terrifying. This is embarrassing. But in the wake of that, like following that, now, now you know, 20 some odd years later, I can look back at that memory and kind of chuckle, right? It almost seems kind of quaint in retrospect that I was, you know, I thought, oh, my God, I'm a criminal now, right? Because of a misunderstanding with the police. Uh, In retrospect, it seems almost comical. And I, I spun this story around, hey, here's this really weird fact about me you never knew. I've created meaning Uh, around the situation that in the moment was really horrible to go through. Like I was, that was shitty for me. I
1: never knew, I never knew that you were a convicted (laughs) criminal.
2: (laughs) But yeah, so, so in in retrospect, this thing that was horrible for me became, you know, I, I get to spin it and put a narrative on it and attach meaning to it. And a lot of times these things that are horrible to us, we can craft these growth narratives afterwards. Say that was a bad time for me. But I've become stronger from it, or I've I've become a better person, or I've learned from it, or I, you know, so we can craft these narratives that allow us to put a positive spin on it and allow us to to rise from it or to benefit and 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 uh, uh flourish from it as a result.
1: So the next one is facing your fears. So basically we've already talked about getting back on your bicycle, um, you know, keep keep getting up, keep trying. Um, for for example the the friend that i talked a little bit about how he um you know basically dived off of a cliff because you know he unlatched himself um he had to get back up on the mountainside he had to get back up on there and um to to basically face his fears because he had a fear of heights and so he knew that if he didn't get back up on on the mountainside he was going to never get back on the mountainside so you know what what some suggestions for that expose yourself to small doses of fear inducing activity in a safe context um repeat the activity until you start to feel the fear dissipate and then gradually increase the challenge so it, the one thing that i have to say for myself Sometimes, believe it or not, Rue is not the most social person. I struggle with um, with getting to know new people, um, believe it or not. You know, you would think that I'm the most energetic and, you know, I run up to, and I do sometimes, but I have to be in a certain, I had to really work on it to be able to um, quickly find and be able to connect with people um it but it it used to be my weakness and and still is sometimes my weakness i i struggle at being able to um if i'm in a great big huge group of people that i don't know i get really quiet really quick and it's something that's um i kind of struggle with um so for myself just kind of breaking up a little bit you know maybe You know, to be able to face my fears of, you know, getting to know new people, you know, I focus on one person and I go and talk to that one person and and try to help build, you know, have some sort of conversation with that one person um, and just kind of work my work my way up. That's probably not the best example, but um, I don't know. Do you have an example yourself, Nuka?
2: Um, well, I'm thinking about quotes off the top of my head that that pertain to failure and growing from failure because we're, we're sort of conditioned to believe that failure is the worst thing that can happen to us, right? We, uh, I see it in students when I'm teaching, right? I, I ask a question and students are always afraid to put up their hand and answer because if they answer and they get the question wrong, they feel like I failed. I've somehow unlearned. I've somehow become dumber as a result of making a mistake without realizing that for most of us, our our greatest learning experiences come from screwing it up and going, wow, I'm not going to do that again, right? And 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 that's how we learn is through failure. So we're never going to learn or get better if we don't push ourselves, if we don't try to, you know, try boldly and make mistakes and learn from them. The safe life doesn't allow us to grow. There are those, uh, those quotes I was mentioning. There's the one quote, I'm not a very big sports person, but I know there's the quote uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? That if, if you, if you mm-hmm. just stand there and you never swing the bat, you're never going to get a home run. Uh, and then paired with that is the the fact, that, I don't know if this is true, but I heard this, that Babe Ruth led the, the league for a long time in, in home runs, but he also led the league in the number of strikeouts, right? Babe Ruth, you know, the, the home run king, wasn't afraid to strike out, right? Because if he was, he would never have hit as many home runs as he did as well. So, uh, and then if you wanted to sort of make, you know, anchor it a bit more to, to research um, some of the, the, the research on flow experiences flow is when you perfectly match your challenge level to your skill, right? We stagnate if we don't challenge ourselves, right? Imagine being, imagine playing a video game on the easiest setting and just playing that same game over and over and over again, for the rest of your life, you'll get good at it but you're not going to get really good at it. Like you'll get comfortably, you'll be good enough to sort of beat this challenge, but it's going to feel easy after a while and unsatisfying. You're not going to be challenging yourself. It's when you start to continually up the, the difficulty and you keep yourself right on that edge of challenge and skill. That's when you'll not only enjoy the experience more, but you'll also learn the most, right? So not being afraid to challenge ourselves, not being afraid to do things that scare us or are hard for us, I mean, even certain kinds of therapies are contingents upon doing things that challenge us or scare us. If you want to get over a phobia, one of the, 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 therapies for that is to expose yourself to it in a gradual setting, like you were describing, right? So if you're afraid of spiders, put yourself in a room with a plastic spider and slowly, you know, work yourself towards that plastic spider until you can sit comfortably next to it, then work up to a little spider in a cage, then work up to a a tarantula in a cage and pretty soon you'll be able to have a tarantula walk across your arm, right? Just by, by virtue of, of facing it and becoming comfortable with that challenge and, and meeting it. So, being afraid to fail, uh, sort of sets us up to, to never, never be able to grow, right? You'll never grow. If you don't push yourself.
1: I be honest i have a few i I have a huge fear of failure and that's why i'm like always like am i doing this right am i not doing this right and sometimes people just need to be like sometimes i need to tell myself like rue stop it (laughs) like it's gonna be okay it'll be all right um mark twain stated courage is not the absence of fear it's acting despite of it absolutely Yeah. so the next one is stepping outside your bubble um basically i mean i've already kind of touched on this one a little bit you know it's it's good for you to get to know other people and where they're at because that will help you to be able to understand where they're coming from and uh the basically be able to understand the world around you how can you understand like if you don't understand why somebody is so upset you know maybe getting to know a little bit about them and maybe their background and where they're coming from. Um, you know, that helps for you to be able to gain that increased understanding. Um, this is something that I would have to say that I I, I'm fairly good at myself, but I, sometimes I go overboard and I, I, I'm way too much outside my bubble. That's like, Rue, why are you over there? Like, come, come, come back, come back. Um, but it's super important to be able to understand um other people. I'll be honest with you. I know people are going to be like screaming, "Rue, why do you do this?" But sometimes I'll watch Fox News.
2: Mhm. No, well, it's good it's good to do. Yeah.
1: I I I sometimes watch Fox News because I want to understand you know where some other people are are coming from. You know. I, I listen to
2: conservative pundits for that same reason. Yeah.
1: I, I think it's important so that that, that way, not, not so that you could rebuttal against them, but because you can understand maybe where they're coming from so that you can have a a, a discussion with them and be able to, instead of just screaming at each other, because I feel like that, that's what we do a lot with in this society is we just yell at each other. Um, but if you understand where somebody's coming from, it it helps you to be able to um, build resilience when you see somebody that does something that you don't 100% understand. It can help you increase your understanding of why, um, certain things are happening.
2: There's also a, a psychological model called the broaden and build model, which argues that, um, when, when we're, when, when we're in good times, when we're in times where things aren't catastrophic and aren't, you know, really tough on us, um, the natural inclination for people is to expand themselves, is to try to, you know, make friends, seek out new abilities, pursue hobbies, and this isn't a coincidence, uh, right? You know, like you, you think that if things are going good, easy thing to do would be to sit back and just sort of coast, but that's not what we're hardwired to do. We're hardwired to try new things, to explore, and the reason is because this gives us more more tools in our toolbox, right? You think that the time you spend engaging in a hobby. Is useless. Why, why am I, You know, why would I waste time learning to build model trains or, or fiddling around with electronics or learning sound design? Like, what's the, what's the point in this? Like, as a hobby, this is a waste of time. But the reason is because when things are tough, we have more tools in our toolbox now. You may not think that messing around with programming in your spare time when you got some time is helpful until you get to a difficult time and you realize that, oh, my ability to code actually gives me uh, uh, an out here, actually gives me a solution that I wouldn't have had before. I ran into this when I was working on my master's thesis. right? I had this difficult experiment that I was trying to figure out how to do, and I realized, oh, I can do some basic coding, some basic scripting, and that gets me out of a, a problem here. And that scripting I learned like five summers earlier, messing around and, and playing around with with designing video games, right? It was a waste of time at that moment, but it turned out to be really useful five years from then. Uh, similarly, you might think, well, you know, in my spare time, I hang out with these furries. What's, what's, what's helpful about that. When times get tough, those furries become the social support that, that that's a resource for you. So, um, stepping outside your bubble, especially when things are going well, being able to try new things, expand your horizons. Um, they provide you with coping resources that you may not even realize are resources until you get into that situation. You go, Oh, I learned this thing, or I know this friend, or I, I, I did this thing that turns out to be really, really uh, helpful in this situation. Right. You're, you going to the gym room, right? Well, why, why am I going to the gym? Well, who knows when you might be in a situation where you have to be able to, to pull yourself out of a car wreck or hang on for dear life. Right. And you're, you're going to the gym. Right ends up being the the linchpin. It's the thing that helps you to get through in that circumstance.
1: I, I'm still gonna fall, Nuka. One hundred percent. I'm gonna be a flat pancake. No, I'm I'm kidding. But no, I I do appreciate it one hundred percent. Like when it comes to, uh, I want to go back to what you were saying about, um, you know, having that particular community. Like the great thing about the furry fandom, there's so many artists that are out here. If you want to learn about how to draw. This is a great community to be a part of. There's a great support system. There's a lot of um there's a lot of creative people in this community and I think it's just um you know it it's 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 amazing. You never know how I mean especially with doing this show for how many years now, how many different episodes, we've learned so much about, you know, this community. There's so much that that um you know, we wouldn't have learned otherwise. Um, But here's some, here's some helpful suggestions uh, about learning how to step outside your bubble. Maybe read or experience something that you know a little about. Engage in a hobby, a new hobby. Uh, Talk with people who think differently. Try something that makes you uncomfortable. Step away from your comfort zone so that you can get, um, so Ah sorry, step away from your comfort zone and and that can actually give you some uh give you a boost of resilience and confidence because you know it's it's always good to be able to experience new things all right, I think on that particular moment, I think it's time for a break i I don't know about you but i'm i'm busting i need I need to go use the restroom so and I don't want you guys to hear me use the restroom. So, you know, not trying to make things awkward here, but we're going to go and break. Oh, they're awkward.
2: <laughs> talked about uh, a few different things that you can do to help improve your resilience. We've got a few more just to wrap up with here. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, how to focus on recharging, uh, the importance of caring for yourself physically, the need to connect to other people, um, the importance of coming up with a narrative of your own, and then the, the importance of taking decisive action. So let's uh, talk about that first one, the, the importance of, of finding time to recharge. Rue, tell us a bit about that.
1: Okay, so it's important to be able to focus on recharging. Um, sometimes people feel like because they are busy that they are successful. Being busy is not bad. It can be, um, it can erode our effectiveness at times. Busyness can affect our self-image. Falling into false, uh, try not to fall into a falsehood of, uh, just because you're busy doesn't mean that you are um, successful that you're doing things correctly?
2: I ran into this all the time in grad school, actually. Uh, there, was this, there was this belief that you had to always be working, right? Grad students are are, are sort of t- talked about as this, like, you need to always be putting in 80-hour weeks. And I remember that it was in my second year of grad school that I started doing my best work. And it was also in my second year of grad school that I started taking naps at school. And people thought it was nuts. Like, you know, you're a grad student, and yet you take like two naps during the day. Like, that makes you so you look so lazy. And I'm like, yeah, but by three o'clock, most of you are like nodding off and you need four cups of coffee to get through the day. You know, when I feel myself starting to get tired, I take a 20 minute nap, and I'm, you know, I'm back at it. Um, we had this belief, you know, when the media publishes this, they say, Oh, look at Jeff Bezos, his average day, and they say he, he only sleeps four hours a day. And, you know, and we had this belief that you need to work yourself to the bone, lest you be accused of being lazy. And the reality is that napping and taking breaks is of critical importance. We're realizing that with the COVID pandemic that, hey, you know, we, we can allow people to take time off, right? When you don't give people time off uh, for sick leave, right, they burn out. And we actually know from research on psychoneuroimmunology that when people get run down, when they get uh, stressed and they don't take breaks, they're much more prone to getting sick. They're much more prone to mental illness, right? So don't buy into this myth that you need to run yourself, rake it. If you're not uh, uh, playing that game 24 seven, then you're uh, uh, going to fall behind because ultimately running yourself into the ground doesn't do anyone any favors.
1: Well, it's, it's super important. Like, for example, like we, when you're at work and you have a break, take your fucking break. Yeah. There's a reason why that break is there. A lot of people, including myself, sometimes work through my break. You know, it's kind of like I have this thing that I need to accomplish. But what tends to happen is, is you know, something that could have taken you probably, you know, 15 minutes to accomplish ends up taking you 45 minutes, maybe maybe 30. It just depends on what it is. But if if you were able to step away for a bit and then... Come back that refreshes your mind, and you're able to get through the task much quicker. Um, care for yourself. oh wait, recharge your productivity is the next one. Um, just basically some some suggestions for that. Um, fo- and we've already kind of talked about this key a little bit. Focus on one thing at a time. Get done what needs to get done first try not to do multitasking. A lot of people are like multitasking is
2: amazing. Uh, no. I, no. No. The research on multitasking shows that all it does is allow people to do two things worse, slower.
1: And and it, all it does is cause stress. So, honestly, it's better for you just to get one thing, figure out what's the one thing that needs to be done first, focus on that one task, get that task completed. The next thing is master your own calendar. Again, we've already talked about breaks and lunches. Don't let time-sucking activities rob your day. I mean, I get, like, it's important to have uh, the water cooler talk, you know, but at the same time, you know, make sure that you balance out that water cooler talk as well. Uh, definitely, definitely get to know your coworkers, work with them. But there are some times that you probably need to tell them, and eh, I need to go and get back to work.
2: We also feel less, less need to engage in these time-wasting, distracting activities if you take breaks regularly.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, I'll be honest with you. There's times that people come into my office and I there's a whole hour that just barely went by and we talked about nothing, but I don't know and
2: you probably did it because you needed the break and this was the break that you needed but weren't giving yourself uh
1: the next thing is make sure that you um you you build white space throughout your day so um it's okay if you have an appointment that if it goes if it build build 15 minutes in between your appointments that will help you to be able to reset and reframe to to get on to the next task again give yourself a little bit of a breaks and stuff like that if you have a meeting give yourself 15 minutes afterward to kind of like reflect on that particular meeting that will help you to be able to absorb that information that was given to you if you jump right into the next task you are not going to remember a single thing
2: build more flexible schedules
1: um think smaller We've already talked about that. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Um, and then four, try to eliminate distractions.
2: Yeah, create a, one thing I found that helped with that is create a, a separate workspace from your home space. Like I have a home office. I do work in my office, and my room is like where I fuck around on YouTube, right? The, the, the two spaces are separate spaces for a reason. When I'm in my office, I am working. When I'm not wanting to work, I am not in my office.
1: You lock the door and you leave it in there. Don't take, don't take work home with you. Like, yeah.
2: Unless you work from home, in which case you have to, but then at least keep it in separate rooms if you can manage it.
1: So what would you recommend if somebody doesn't have a separate room like you?
2: Uh, I barely separate the rooms then, right? Have like a desk where it's okay. When I'm at the desk, I'm working right. When I'm not at the desk, when I'm at my bed, when I'm at the couch, You know, but people run into real problems when they go, I'm going to, it looks comfortable to sit on the couch and work. So you're, you're mixing it because then later on when you're sitting on the couch, you've conditioned the couch as a place where you work. People run into this all the time when they sit on their bed and they look at their phone for hours, right? So when you go to lay down to actually go to bed, you can't sleep because you've not conditioned your bed as the place where you sleep. If the only time you sit on your bed is when you're closing your eyes to go to sleep, being in your bed, will, will naturally bring you to sleep because this is the place where I sleep, right? But when you sit on your bed for hours, staring at a phone or something or working, right? That conditions you to not treat your bed as a place of sleep. So separate your spaces, even if it means separating a space into separate spaces, right? If you only got one room, your bedroom, well, then your bed is the place that you sit on when you're ready to sleep, right? Or your bed or your, your chair is where you sit when you want to, to watch TV, your office, your, your desk is where you sit when you want to work, right? Keep these spaces separate. And you'll be in these separate mindsets when you're there.
1: I've also heard that it's a, that's important to do some sort of a transition. So like for some people, they take a shower after work or they go on a walk, do something. I I take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. Take a nap. Do something that's in between work and, and being at home, especially because I know a lot of people now are working from home do something in between to help you to transition, um, back to home life. Um, okay. The next one is care for yourself physically. So we've talked a lot about exercise. We've already kind of gone through that. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean go, go to the gym and hit it hard for hours on end. It just take care of yourself physically as far as like, Um, it, it could be, um, just making sure that you eat a healthy meal. Uh, you get enough sleep. Uh, it, it really helps you to deal with stress. Let me tell you, if I, if I don't have enough sleep, I I can't handle things. Um,
2: the mind and the body are inextricably, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, go for it.
2: The mind and the body are inextricably tied to one another. People often like to pretend like the mind is completely absent from the body, not realizing just how tied to one another, these things are, when you're highly stressed, it takes its toll on your physical body. you actually become more susceptible to getting a cold, to getting sick, but the reverse is also true. Like you said, when you're physically exhausted or when you're physically injured, right? It can reduce your ability to, to think and to, to, to be uh, able to be cognitively uh, adept. And so, yeah. Treat your your body like the the machine that your mind relies on, right? So if your if your body is 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 being treated horribly, if you're putting chemicals into it, if you're not treating it well, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying chemicals like oh avoid well know, if you're, alcohol
1: like okay yeah, alcohol like you're yeah. drink you're drinking all the time or maybe you yeah. have to have to have weed all the time in order for I mean. You know,
2: I mean, your coping mechanisms are your coping mechanisms. I'm not trying to shame or moralize, but rather just realize that your your body is a machine, and if you're putting garbage into it, if you're not treating it well, uh, then it is going to affect your mind.
1: Yes, definitely. So do what you can to be able to keep keep care of your mind. I mean, and your body, but um, but yeah, it's it's easier said than done. I mean, we can go through it real quick and we are, we're going to go past this one, but let me tell you, this one is super, super important. It's really helped me uh, to be able to get back to the gym and really start taking care of myself physically. Um, It's really helped my mind and my mood. Um, I'm a lot more, um, I don't sound it today, but I'm usually a lot more energetic because I have a lot more, um, I have a lot more energy to be able to spare so that gives me the ability to be able to give to other people to be more resilient to be able to bounce back um bounce back from things like hopefully my sickness you know stuff like that um uh, but um but yeah so care for yourself physically is definitely a great key um the next one is care i mean connect with people um
2: Right, so we kind of talked about this one already at length. So There's not too much new dimension here, but just realize that other people are our greatest source of resilience, right? So the friends you've made along the way, whether friends from work, friends from furry fandom, friends of, of family, your family themselves, um, we don't realize how important these people are until we're faced with a situation where we need to lean on them. I always give my class the example, if you came home only to discover that your house had burned down, do you know right now, the number of someone that you would call for a place to stay tonight, right? If you've got that, then you've got a social support network that you don't necessarily realize is there until you need it, right? And if you don't have that, that might be a sign that maybe you really do need to be taking time to meet other people and incorporate other people into your life because that's a potential vulnerability that could happen to anyone.
1: The next key is your own story. Um, Your life is based on a true story. Your story is uniquely you. You carry it wherever you go. Find the courage to own your story for what it is. Our stories should not be a list of poor me sagas or polished list of excuses, but a series of noble lessons that have transformed us. When you share lessons with others, you contribute to a better world. This might take some practice because it calls for us to be honest and vulnerable with ourselves. It also requires us to experience compassion for oneself. It's difficult. This one is difficult to, to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and treat yourself like, I'll be honest with you, Nuka. I treat other people better than I treat myself. That is something that's an honest truth that I have, um, that I've done. And um, I need to, I, it's something that I've worked on a lot uh, through time. Uh, But, you know, sometimes I see myself like going above and beyond of forgiving somebody or, or helping somebody get through an issue. But then I don't spend that time for myself and be able to and it's super important. The The main thing is, is this is our, this is our, this is my own story. My, I'm writing the story. I control the narrative. Um, so here's some suggestions on how to, how to do that. Um, how, how would you respond to a, f- I mean, questions to ask yourself, how would you respond to a friend in this situation? Um, did you notice A difference in how you responded to yourself. Uh, What factors or fears lead you to treat yourself so differently? Um, And how might things change if you respond to yourself in the same way um, you would to respond to a close friend? So those are some um, those questions are things that you could ask yourself if um, to be able to reflect on whether or not that you're being too hard on yourself and most of the time you are being too hard on yourself you need to give yourself a break just like how you would give a friend a break so
2: and um, if you're willing to, sorry, if no, you're willing to be more it. charitable if you're willing to be more charitable to yourself as well that can help you to not live in the past and beat yourself up over it right so when you have those past failures it's so easy that like i'm garbage i'm horrible look at this horrible thing i did And if you're not charitable to yourself, if you're not willing to be compassionate, you're going to just constantly see those things as these anchors weighing you down rather than saying, "Okay, I fucked up. That was bad. But how do I turn that into a learning experience? How do I see the silver lining in that? How do I grow from that and benefit from that? So if you don't give yourself that charitability, then all you do is you you see the, the past as this series of burned bridges and failures and awfulness rather than, hey, look at all these opportunities I've had to grow and look at all these lessons I've learned along the way. They've been hard ones. They've left some scars, but at the end of the day, you control your narrative, right? You decide whether those things are going to be anchors holding you down or whether they're going to be all these learning opportunities, these hard lessons that you've grown from along the way.
1: And then that brings us to our last key. Take decisive action. Um, all of these things that we've talked about today are great ideas. They're ideas, but they're nothing if they're not put into action. Create a plan for yourself. Write down tasks, set days, dates, evaluate, and make sure that you celebrate your achievements.
2: Get a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. Get a whiteboard and write this shit down.
1: (laughs) I mean, I understand that it's silly, but it's holding yourself accountable. You know, if you don't have an action plan for yourself, then you're not going to get anywhere. So it's good for you to be able to write things down. Um basically create create goals for yourself and set yourself to those to those deadlines that you set yourself. Um like for instance, if you're trying to find a job, set a set a goal on which you're going to obtain a job by. Um I mean, I know that it's not necessarily for you know, you can set that for everything. You can't say, oh, by this particular date, I'm going to be over my breakup. No, you can't necessarily do that, but you can set yourself up for other things. You know, maybe you can set a date to say, by this particular date, maybe a few months from now, I'm going to try dating again. You know, something like that. Just make sure that they're obtainable goals. Um, You can you can set unrealistic goals, but, you know, it's good for you to be able to set stepping stone goals to be able to help you to be able to reach reach that bigger goal. It's OK for you to say in five years from now, I want to be an astronaut. OK, you want to be an astronaut Okay. So what do you need to do now? Five years from now, that would be a little bit crazy, but
2: what needs to happen between now and then?
1: Exactly. What do you need to do to be able to get to that particular point?
2: So I guess, do we have any final thoughts? Do you have any final thoughts on this?
1: Let's just go through those keys one more time. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, once again, the one, the keys that we've talked about today, see crisis as surmountable, change the narrative, find the silver lining, face your fears, step outside your bubble, focus on recharging, care for yourself physically, connect with people, tell your own story, and take decisive actions. As far as my final thoughts, um, I feel like that it's super important for us to be able to learn to become, become more resilient. It's difficult. I I know that we've gone through some pretty difficult times, but as a fandom, as a community, we are fairly resilient in being able to continue to push forward, to continue to have fun, spread joy and just be a great community with each other. As far as yourself, like, I I think it's super important to take control of your own narrative, take control of your story because you're the one that writes it. So thanks for taking the time for, being able to listen to to this this particular episode, I, I hope that some of these keys or these tools that we've talked about will help you to be able to build and become a more resilient person. Nuka, what's your final thoughts?
2: Um, if psychology taught me anything, it's that people are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. Um, when you see these people who've gone through traumas, who've gone through crises. Um, It's really easy to see victims. It's really easy to see, man, look at all these people. They're going to be messed up for the rest of their life. But the story is resoundingly a story of people persevering um, through horrible situations. It doesn't make the situations that they've gone through good. It doesn't mean that they weren't hard to go through or that the person would have preferred not to have gone through them. But it does sort of spit in the face of this idea that uh, people are weak or frail. Um, People are remarkably adept at coping. You're better at coping than you realize you are. We're afraid of failures. And so we avoid being in these tough situations. Um, But rest assured that you can get through far more than you think you can, right? It would be uncomfortable to be in a tough situation, but you might surprise yourself by just what you're capable of going through and coming out on the other side um, at the end of it all. So don't, don't undersell yourself, I guess would be my, my message there.
1: Awesome. And on that note, we'll be moving on to the mailbag. Woo! Yay. Insert zipper pulled down. <laughs> okay. All right. So we have a lovely message from Krubs. So he has a topic suggestion. He said, I have a show topic, uh, future question. First um some setup. In society I have observed that there's two basic kinds of sex. Sex in relationships and sex without relationships. I have observed um many negative feelings in sex without a relationship. I believe this is because I feel if it, it feels like being treated as a sex toy or an object not a person. So here's a question. Is sex without a relationship more or less uh, prevalent in the fandom? Do furries, uh, do do more furries than the general population feel bad being used as a sex toy or sex without a relationship? Or is this just an issue that interests me and would not be a good fit for, for what it's worth? First and foremost, I just want to say any topic is a good topic. So please feel free to send send it our way. I think there there was one topic that was sent that we were like, oh, no, we're not touching that one with the 10-foot pole. <laughs> because we do tend to stay out of, like, political drama and different things like that. Um, but uh, definitely, we'll take that into account as far as um, a potential particular episode. I, I know that we are going to be um at some point in time within the season we're going to be having some individuals from a community um that runs basically a a furry sex club um here in utah and so um you know maybe that would be a good um topic to bring up with them uh i was going to ask you nuka do you have some um do you have some information that you want to throw out or research
2: um yeah, off the top of my head, I guess what I would say is that it's a, a I don't want to say a false dichotomy, but there's a gradient between like like how you define being in a relationship versus not relationship whatsoever is a bit fuzzy, right? So on the one end, you have, you know, I, I'm just meeting this person for the first time we, we met on Tinder 20 minutes ago, and we're hooking up. And on the other extreme, you have like, we're married life partner. Right. And then you have a whole gradient of stuff in the middle. So I'm a little bit leery about saying that there's only, you know, only these only these two kinds, uh, because, for example, would you say that friends with benefits counts as a, um, you know, sex without a relationship? Right. Well, it's kind of this gray, fuzzy area, like you're friends with this person. You're not having sex within the context of a traditional monogamous romantic relationship. But there's still something there. There's sort of casual hookups. There's uh, all sorts of different sorts of um, context. I think at the end of the day, as long as everyone's kind of consenting, you know, it's 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 OK. I do think, though, however, if you are finding yourself, you know, regardless of whether it's in a, you know, a a monogamous relationship, whether it's in um, something more casual, regardless of what the, the nature of the relationship is, if you do find yourself feeling uncomfortable, feeling used, feeling like, um, there's an inequity here or something that you're not liking about it, that's worth thinking about. That's worth putting some thought into and saying, yeah, is this something I want to be doing? Uh, I would argue that two people who are hooking up and they just want the sex, right? Um, you might feel like, well, they're using me for sex, but if you're using them for the same thing and you've sort of mutually agreed upon it, no harm, no foul, as long as you're consenting to it. So I guess there's a lot to explore in that topic more than I could get into here. Um, But my, my take home would be that um, I don't think it's more prevalent in the furry fandom than in other fandoms. I think you do find more uh, uh, things like polyamorous relationships, more openness towards the idea of casual sex, perhaps in the fandom than you find in the general population. Um, But there's a lot of nuance to get into there that I can't quite get into here.
1: Thank you for that Nuka. Appreciate it. I mean, honestly, I think the number one thing that you hit hit on the head was as long as you know, you have two consenting adults that are communicating with them, who's to say what's good and what's bad necessarily? I don't know. That's my opinion. Um, all right. So we have another email. Nuka, do you yes. want to read that?
2: Sure. This one's from Veli Wolf. Greetings. My name is Veli Wolf and I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I wanted to discuss my plans for what I hope to get done in the new year. During the day, I work work a full-time job in IT, and I hope that continues to go well through 2022. When it comes to my free time, though, I'm usually about writing and creating DJ mixes. Rock on, that's awesome. Uh, I wrote a story last year for my visual novel my mate and I are working on this year. We hope to have something tangible to demo by the time Biggest Little Fur Con rolls around. We also want to possibly demo work at a gaming convention where we live called Game On Expo. It's also a hope of mine that I can do more DJing this year at cons like BLFC. I've done sets at conventions other years, but sadly I wasn't picked for any convention slots in 2021. Once the bulk of Omicron passes, I want to submit some more demos to cons so I can be up on stage again dropping some bumping beats for the late night party crowd. For a shameless plug, soundcloud.com slash DJ-VELI, V-E-L-L-I. Uh, Goals work better for myself than resolutions. Goals are more thought out, whereas resolutions to me are more of a resolve to be better at something. By completing a goal, you get to learn by experience and feel good once you've accomplished it. That about summarizes what I want for the year of 2022. I think these ideas are well within the realm of feasibility, and I'm looking forward to the days ahead. It's going to be a great year. Belly Wolf. I just wanted to say, I love what Veli points out there. That's the distinction between a resolution and a tangible goal, right? It's very easy to say, I'm going to get into shape. Great. What do you do with that?
1: How are you going to get there?
2: Yeah, right. There's a huge rift or gulf between now and I'm now in shape, right? So uh, I think he's hitting on something that we, or they, I don't know. I think that they're hitting on something that uh, is, is very, that we've touched on earlier in this episode, which is set manageable goals and sub goals, right? So- Saying I'm going to get into shape is tough, but saying, Hey, I'm going to go to the gym three days a week. Well, that's, that's something tangible. That's something I can do uh, and and assess my progress on. Right. Whereas am I getting into shape? Well, am I? So yeah, I like that distinction there. Uh, I really hope that belly that you, you managed to hit those goals. I think you set reasonable goals, right? So, um, good on you and your, your mates. And uh, hopefully I will see you, uh, see you rocking some, some, some dances at uh, the next con on
1: Thank you so much for sending in that email. Um, Let me tell you, it is so great to be able to, to just be able, I don't think we had a mailbag segment in quite some time. So thank you once again for just sending in a general email. We definitely read them on our show so, if you want to get your email in next time, just send an email over to castaforwhatisworth dot com, so that we can read your um, your lovely e- email in the mailbag. What are some of the things that you can send? You could send over just like a basic, like, "Hey, I really liked this episode," or "This is something that I re- was really into," or it could be something that's not even related that you just want to throw out. We'll we'll definitely be reading it on the show heck we've even read hate mail before that's fun (laughs) that's
2: how you know you made it when you have hate mail
1: exactly exactly it's good um okay with that should we get into some house creeping
2: i like that idea
1: awesome so first of all nuka i want to thank you for being so resilient today (laughs) And coming and helping. I think that me and you deserve the resilient medal for the day because we're doing
2: this
1: (laughs) like you're, you have, you have COVID and you're still doing this episode. And I, I sound like that. I'm, I'm trying to like mimic Kermit the frog over here. (laughs) So, you know, thank you once again for your time and your effort that you put in for the show.
2: And ditto to you as well. Thanks for, for, for keeping things going uh, despite being sick, it'd be very easy to, to to sort of say, ah, well, we'll skip an episode, but it's nice to be able to to keep on a schedule and to, you know, of course, we are uh, not going to be hypocrites here. Afterwards, we're going to make sure we take some time to take care of ourselves. I'm taking the, the next week off to make sure that I am uh, 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 in better shape and recovering from COVID. So taking it easy, playing some more Dark Souls, which despite the frustration of it is in fact taking time off.
1: Yes, Definitely take that time off for yourself. I actually have Monday off that I took off. So hopefully I'll be able to get feeling better. And if not, then I'm going to be taking Tuesday off too, uh, just to get feeling better. But um, we have our lovely website. Um, for what it's com, Please come on there once in a while Comment on it if you're able to It makes it look like the people do go to the site We have our lovely twitter At for what it's worth.com Please feel free to, to jump on there Send us a tweet once in a while Retweet our tweets That's always helpful Because honestly when it comes to our show We don't put any money Into um, marketing Advertising So yeah. honestly we just throw it out In the lovely, lovely space. And whatever gets um, retweeted or sent out is what gets sent out to, to places. So we appreciate your guys' support there. Um, we have a lovely Telegram channel. Please message me at Wine Red fox and uh, I will see what I can do to get you added to the Telegram channel. Um, you do have to be over the age of 18. Um, our lovely email is cast at for what it's worth.com. We also answer our individual emails. Mine happens to be rue at for what it's worth.com and Nuka you're Nuka at for what it's worth.com. So if you would like to say, send either one of us a personal email, you can do so from those, those places. Um, we also have a lovely speak pipe. Uh, what speak pipe is is it's basically, uh, well, it's a website you go on. You can you can send audio files. In fact, we we would highly recommend when you're sending emails, you can send it through speak speakpipe or just send us an email um, or an audio file through the email itself. We love being able to hear more voices than than myself and Nuka rambling into a microphone. It's yep. great to be able to hear you guys. And plus, you know that Rue can't read worth a worth anything so it's it's always good to be able to um make sure that your words come out correctly so that we don't have things like Calafato and wisconsin texas coming out so um of course tell a friend about our lovely show um nuka give us uh what is first science up to
2: uh for science uh yeah. Not not too much right now. We're preparing for our um our next uh next year survey. So we're we're getting ready gearing up for furry fiesta, which hopefully, depending on how the uh the bug is going, hopefully I'll be there in person at Furry Fiesta. We're also planning on Amphicon, possibly Euroference. We're getting sort of we have to set these things up months in advance, so that's what we're doing right now. Uh yeah. Cool.
1: So what's the next episode?
2: So the next episode is going to be kind of a round table, uh, mixed with some talk about research. So, uh, I'm doing, a uh, I've been looking at some data from the 2021 big international furry survey. And, uh, one of the questions we asked is what does it mean to be a furry? It's like the most foundational first question you can ask, right? It's the most basic of questions, but, um what's been cool about it is being able to see thousands of furries from around the world answer this question. Like what is furry? You know, we always talk about it as a fandom, but does it mean more than that to different people? So we'll, we'll dive into that question, the sort of almost philosophical sort of way. What does it mean to different people? What does it mean to you? It'll be a big discussion and sort of a data dive as we peruse that topic so it'll be a fun one i'm certainly looking forward to it
1: so what emails or content are you asking for our listeners to send in
2: yeah ideally um uh, just a, a short little blurb about what the furry fandom means to you when i say what is furry not not how would you define furry to other people but what does it mean to you okay, to be a furry or to be part of the furry fandom or what is furry as a concept to you Right, we can hopefully punctuate our uh, discussion with some 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 user emails on that. So definitely uh, send those in, and uh, I'll be looking forward to it.
1: Well, awesome! We're at the end of our show.
2: We made it. We we did it.
1: After this, I'm gonna take some NyQuil and probably go take a nap. Woohoo! I'm gonna
2: drink way too much tea.
1: (laughs) Anyways, this has been Roo. I'm Nuka. And this, this has been is for, for What It's worth. worth. Wait, you did it with me. That's like the first time.
2: I actually thought about coughing. This has been, <laughs> I almost did it. <laughs>